I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel. We have a treat this week. Peter Norton, a man on the spot who took the hot shot in Townsville of the Percat car on fire. Welcome on board, Peter. Hi there, Tony. Yes, it got a little bit warm. And along with the Deputy Editor of Auto Action, Australia's longest-standing motorsport publication, that being Auto Action, Heath, welcome. Hi, Tony. How's it going? Good with me. As well as Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, here we look back on Townsville. First off, probably, um, let's just talk about your photo, Pete. Um, you were in pit lane and got the shot of the uh, Nick Perkett car on fire. Tell us uh, your immediate impression of that. It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. That uh, uh, It seems to go for ages that the fuel was pouring out over the side of the car and onto the ground. Uh, and then they uh, pulled the fuel rig away and for a couple of seconds nothing happened. And I was thinking, wow, this isn't going to go up in flames. And then guess what? Of course, it did go up as the, the car got lowered and I guess the the hot exhaust got lowered down to the, the puddle of fuel and the fumes, and uh, uh, then some very exciting photos popped up in front of me. Um, and uh, as people would have seen on the TV replays, uh, uh, they had the, 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 perhaps the peace of mind to get the car uh, out of there, uh, and uh, uh, other fire extinguishers uh, fixed that one up while they uh, tried to put out the, uh, the big puddle of fuel um, and uh, thankfully caught it before the flame spread to the, the fuel rig and other things that, that were nearby. So uh, a fairly exciting uh, couple of seconds. Uh, I think uh, these things will be reviewed as they're always done. Uh, and you know, hopefully there are things that can be learned from it to uh, hopefully prevent it ever happening again, uh, but also to just keep polishing and continuously improving the way that uh, people respond to incidents like this. Did you get an impression um, that uh, it was a hose split or a disconnection with the Siamese uh, coupling? Uh, I believe there was a, a split in the hose just where uh, it joined into the, the coupling that connects to the car. Uh, and uh, I, I understand that the fuel was leaking uh, as the fuel man approached the car. So there was already spillage before he connected to the car. Uh, and, and that was quite remarkable to see. It was probably for three seconds that the fuel just kept gushing and gushing. Uh, and I would have thought that uh, various active safety measures would have stopped the flow uh, a little bit earlier uh, to keep the, the puddle a little bit smaller. Uh, but uh, it's easy to second-guess these things. Uh, and I had a different line of sight to what other people had. So, again, uh, very easy to second-guess it. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, hopefully people can uh, learn from things like this uh, to prevent uh, it ever happening again and reducing the risk for everybody. It certainly seems in past that, you know, the dead man switch or, or control uh, has been the thing that stopped the fuel flow. I mean, I, my most vivid memory of a pit lane fire was the uh, John Bow one at Queensland Raceway. I can't remember what year it was, um, but that fuel flow stopped very quickly there was not nowhere near the amount of fuel that there was uh, last Sunday um, 
Heath, uh, your impressions of... Uh, have you been able to do any postscript with anybody uh, on the uh, event from, say, Brad Jones or anywhere? We had uh, Bruce Newton up at the gr- up on the ground up there and... Um, and he did some he did some stuff up there, and he, he said, you know, uh, basically, um, you know, it, they did the best job they could. Um, and he, you know, the I think the biggest thing to come out of the uh, whole situation is the camaraderie between the teams. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the Red Bull guys and the DJR Ten Penske squad sort of helped out with. Um, down when the when the car was down at the end of pit lane, and then the walk and shore, and I think there was a couple of Matt Stone guys, and you know um, probably another few teams that I've missed out, but they they helped out um, the BJR guys when they you know just erupted um, at their pit base. So I think that's probably the biggest thing to come out of it. I mean uh, everyone's okay, um, and. Yeah, I think uh, you know there might be might as Peter said earlier. You know, uh, I think it's probably um, a reflection of maybe um, changes that we need to make to the protocol to when this happens. Yeah, well, the remarkable thing was, of course, that Nick actually got back into his car after feeling his uh, bum getting uh, warm from the seat. <laughs> he got back in the car and finished the race. Well, that's terrific that the car was not damaged. The other great thing about it was that uh, the potential there for the flame to go back up the hose and for that uh, whatever 60 litres or however many left in the tank for that to explode, because clearly that would be a, you know catastrophic uh, if that were to happen. But uh, Great thing it didn't. Um, overall, Pete, uh, while you're busy working uh, in pit lane and and around the track during the racing, um, your impression of the races? I mean, the uh, end results were you know, a fair bit different. What a wonderful weekend of racing. Uh, let's be honest. The last couple of months of racing have been routine. Um, not taking any credit away from the, the DJR team Penske, uh, they're doing a fabulous job, but the racing had become routine. Uh, well, uh, I, I went to Townsville thinking, well, we're going to get the same again? No way. And in, in fact, I think the Sunday race was uh, one of the most fascinating races I've seen for a long time in terms of the way the strategy played out. Uh, and while it was the, the, the usual winner, Scott McLaughlin, um, he really had to work for it. And uh, it was fascinating to watch that whole story sort of come together uh, through the different pit stops and stuff to, to how he got back to the lead. Um, that was great. I'd tune in every week for that kind of racing. Uh, and then on Sunday, it was just you know, chaos uh, with, the, with the rain and a few uh, incidents and that kind of stuff. You're sort of standing around waiting to find out who the winner could be. Um, going through a whole list of different contenders as they uh, needed uh, late stops for fuel and other things. Um, yeah, it was one of those fascinating ones of, you know, it could be anyone. After the break, we'll be back with Heath McAlpine, Tony Whitlock, Peter Norton and Craig Ravel. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. 
for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. And we've got Heath McAlpine of Auto Action and Peter Norton taking us through their thoughts with Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. It would seem, Heath, that uh, the one person who has not given the uh, accolades and the... uh, acknowledgement of his uh, great work was Anton, who finished fourth, I believe, on Sunday. Yeah, Anton um, uh, Anton did a really good job um, on the Sunday race. Uh, even, even, uh, even you know, Saturday, he was there or thereabouts as well. Um, but not, not like he was Sunday, but uh, a good call from the Erebus team to put him on wets when they did, and he took full advantage of it, and I think he ended up with a 36-second advantage to uh, Van Gisbergen when they all sort of um, the pit pit stops played out, uh, yeah. but yeah, he it was it was treacherous conditions. There was uh, everyone was sliding. Uh, I, I was doing the race report and the notes and couldn't keep up with the amount of people that were acclimating all over the place. But um, yeah, he did a cracking job. And um, I mean, also Van Gisbergen did as well with um, you know Red Bull. They 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 haven't. They haven't, uh, you know, dropped the ball. Um, they've kept on going, and um, it's probably just reward after, you know, uh, the dominance of McLaughlin of late um, that they got victory on Sunday. Yeah, indeed. Just thinking of such things, uh, did Erebus have a pit lane problem on Saturday? Was was there a problem? Yes, there was. Yes, um, yes. Uh, but, uh, Reynolds, uh, David Reynolds, um, they had a uh, minor issue with the. Uh, the um, wheel nut and um, yeah it was a disappointing result after he got pole on the Saturday he he got had a 16 second pit stop due to due to the uh, wheel not getting stuck and um, Barry Ryan said afterwards that they shelled out a fair bit a fair bit of money to replace all these components and make sure that it didn't happen because it's been a constant for their year so far and um, it was um, a crew error, I understand it as, and um, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it sort of he was well in contention to take victory, and it sort it dropped him up to fifth, I think, at the end, fifth or sixth in the end. Um, so another disappointing result. It's one of the things that shows up constantly, and it's not just our series, of course, but uh, Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, they're team sports. And Craig, I know that you uh, spotted something when uh, Shane was uh, collecting his uh, trophy or making a, a comment that uh, he was uh, very grateful for the work that the team and particularly the engineer grant uh i can't even think of grant's surname now but shippy um he was very grateful for that uh, craig you made mention of that to me earlier yeah he he was and he's praised the team for uh you know helping him turn around his performance also one of the things i didn't notice was how emotional he was after the race and uh, he certainly I think this victory meant a lot to him. I, I, I don't know if you picked it up, Heath, but uh, he almost looked like he had a tear in his eye. 
Yeah, he did. He, um, I mean, it's, a, it's it's been a tough season, and it's probably the first time, you know, in quite some time that Red Bull Holden Racing team have had a, you know, they've had a pretty ordinary start to the season. By um, as you know, compared to their lofty standards previously, but um, yeah, we've, I got some photos through yesterday, looking through, and yeah, um, Shane was pretty emotional, and as Tony mentioned, um, the bond um, that. He, he and Grant McPherson obviously have was clear to see on uh, after Sunday's race uh, and the relief I suppose as well of taking his second victory in a to- Holden's only uh, only two victories uh, of the season so far, which is interesting, you know, in itself. Yeah, and uh, interesting, Peter. You would have been busy off making sure your photos got the wrap around of the Townsville Bulletin the next day, but Heath, what we did see play out is that. Uh, there was a crash at the start of the race and there was a war of words at the end of the race with uh, Scott McLaughlin, David Reynolds uh, agreeing to disagree with what happened that uh, put the championship leader uh, on the back foot for the rest of the day. No, I thought it was a um, no, I thought it was a racing incident. I think it's pretty much shared in that way and um, it did add a little bit of spice or it has added a bit of spice to... Um, you know, what has been a, you know, pretty, uh, oh, how can I say this, um, pretty, uh, I suppose, um, it, it's been an interesting title, but, uh, you know, it has lacked that, you know, bit of mongrel about it so far. And um, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a one-sided argument, we could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but rightly so, I mean, with a, you know, Penske sort of, um, going about their business, but um, yeah, look, I, I, I won't say no to it. You know, but I think it's a, I think it's a good thing um, for the category to have a little bit of spice. That's, you know, thinking of Ingle and Scaife, which is the main one that you, you bring in. But you know, there, there's been plenty, and um, you know, it's, it's I, I think it's, there's nothing really in it, and I'll get on with it. But um, yeah, it, it made the, uh, it made. Sunday's race even more, um, even more interesting. Yeah, in fact, yes. The last thing we need is um, them all being great mates and just wanting to come to each other's bar mitzvahs and all that sort of stuff. No, no. We need a bit of protagonism. We need a bit of angst between them. So yes, yeah, so Scotty and, and David. I mean, they're obviously very different people, um, and uh, they uh, certainly had. A, I mean, the stewards have not come down. I mean, it was it was straightforward racing incident. I understand, wasn't it, Heath? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I, you know. Um, you could say that Dave went for a gap that was always going to diminish, and or Scotty could have opened up a little bit. And, but you, you know, it's racing. It's a nice contrast with the world of Formula One, where uh, the slightest things are being given, uh, you know, the wrong sort of preference and uh, penalties and things like that. So it was good to. One thing, um, maybe uh, Pete, uh, you could make mention about uh, Caruso. He didn't seem to make a lot of impact there. Um, did you? I mean, you obviously know him pretty well. Uh, he uh, settled back into his old role at Rogers, did he? Uh, yeah, he had an up and down weekend. Uh, on Sunday, he qualified, I think, back in the grid, uh, but he finished ninth. But that sort of reflects how haywire the whole weekend was. Uh, I thought he did a, a tradesman-like job on both days. He uh, uh, kept out of trouble and, and produced some good times. Uh, just coming back to the. Uh, David Reynolds and Scott McLaughlin incident, I think it highlights uh, really what I took away from the weekend, and that is the, the importance now of qualifying 
and lap one. Um, if anyone's going to beat McLaughlin, it's about qualifying in front of him. And now we can see that that can be done. Uh, and you have to have the track position uh, after lap one. Um, that's the only way you're going to have a chance because that uh, Mustang is still quite dominant in uh, throughout the race. And we saw that on Saturday that McLaughlin just set about, stuck to a strategy and end up the winner. Um, the other teams have found out how to qualify equal or better um, and they just got to make it stick into turn one, turn two, and whatever it takes to get in front of that Mustang, that's the only chance you've got. Yeah, indeed. It's um, uh, obviously with uh, Cam Waters uh, getting a pole on Saturday, um, that's terrific for him. He's certainly been uh, promising something of that ilk. I don't remember what happened to him as to how he slid back down the pack. Um, can anyone give me some sort of a clue on that one? Um, he just sort of switched back a little bit, little bit uh, throughout the, the wet race. Uh, I don't recall him doing anything particularly wrong, but yeah. uh, just the others were that little bit better. Um, there was a very good dice between himself and Chaz. Uh, Chaz just was, uh, I think, slightly the, the better driver in those conditions uh, to temporarily get in front of him. Uh, and Chaz sort of took over the front running as the, the main contender uh, to win because everyone was expecting Anton to need more fuel. Yeah, in saying that, Waters only still finished third. Um, he still got on the podium. Uh, oh, right, of course he did. Yeah, he, had, he did have an issue on Saturday and finished 21st, but it was a really good recovery from that. Um, pole and, and third place is nothing to be uh, sneezed at. Um, he, I mean, at a track there that Tickford bring plenty of confidence to. Um, in previous years, they've had a quite a good run there. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, obviously the Mustang and Waters and with, with Waters and, uh, and Mustard particularly, um, they, they, those guys have really, um, definitely changed the form of Tickford this year compared to last. Moving off the track for a moment, what was your impressions of the whole what's Chaz up to? Peter, a lot of talk up in Queensland that he's on the move, and uh, it's the first part of a question to uh, both of you guys. That uh, is, uh, I'll have a uh, multiple choice um, <laughs> to you in a moment. But Peter, uh, first of all, the the chatter in the garages. Well, uh, Chad summed it up best in one of the press conferences where he thanked the media for uh, uh, talking it up because it uh, guaranteed that his sponsors were getting very good coverage. Um, that's about all he would say about it. Um, uh, he was trying to uh, sidestep uh, any more discussion about it. Um, with the uh, uh, announcement that uh, the Team Penske were uh, renewing their deals with both of their drivers and that's locked in, that sort of has taken away the you know, sort of perhaps the most obvious or some would say the most exciting opportunity for Chaz. Um, but it now opens up that real can of worms about different options and ooh, why would he go to that team? Ooh, maybe that team's got some other changes coming as well. Uh, it's a whole lot of speculation. Um, yeah, this one's going to take a little while to play out, I think. Heath, your read of that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've heard some some very, various rumours and um, didn't believe him really to start off with, um, but you know, after uh, you know speaking in the office yesterday during our deadline, um, it's 
you, you sort of can see that puzzles piecing together. But, you know, not to give too much away because we've got the May coming out on Thursday. But, yeah, you know, it's a um, it's a, it's an interesting... It, it's going to be interesting to see where he, how it plays out and what he really wants to do with the future of his career, whether he wants to combine some more GT racing with his supercars commitments or... Um, or just purely focus on supercars, but I think he signalled that he wants to do more GT racing, so I think that'll be dependent on where he goes. So here's to my multiple choice, and Tony, you can join in on the end of this. You're Chaz Mostert, Heath McAlpine, and do you A, stay where you are, B, go and look at the, uh, and take up the offer which is publicly on the table from BMW, or C, possibly have a supercar, um, sports car, offer on the table from Walkinshaw. Which one's the most attractive? Well, if I was Chaz, I'd probably stay where I I am in in A. Um, You know, you're still going to probably race with BMW not as much as you'd like. Um, You'd also be driving a Mustang, which is the... You must drive a Mustang. Um, You know how competitive they are. Um, and and you know and you know what you're going to get with six that you've been there for quite a number of years now and um, you know there's no unexpectedness about it um, and, and yeah again uh, Mustang pretty much Mustang. <laughs> it's interesting when you think about the number of drivers who've gone off somewhere else. Marcus is the only one I can think of really that's been at the top of the tree, and he calls one two championships and head off to uh, to America. Um, I find it hard to believe that Chaz would decide to go, having really, you know, been very successful in terms of winning races, but not yet really made an impact on a championship. So I don't think he's going to go. I think he'll stay to achieve something here. In the same way that Scott, I mean, he'll, uh, it's highly likely he's going to win back-to-back championships, and I could see him saying, right, I want a treble before he goes somewhere else, and he could achieve that. Has the announcement about Penske meant that he's beyond 2020, have they talked? Can anyone know? It's a multiple-year deal for Scott that doesn't include... Uh, it doesn't overtly include international racing. That's what they've said about okay, Scott. But so what about A, B, or C for well. Peter and Tony? How about you guys answer the question? I will select option B for BMW. Uh, I think that uh, supercars at the top now, um, it's a bit crowded at the top, uh, well, dominated by Penske. Uh, If I was Chaz, I'd be nervous about being a permanent second fiddle uh, in the, you know, the TikTok team will be the second fiddle. Uh, If you've got true championship aspirations, you kind of snooped there for a little bit now. BMW would be an interesting diversion. But also remember that that it was Mark Winterbottom who broke Triple Eight's uh, dominance uh, when he was at Tickford. You know, and there's something about ending the run of somebody. There's something about you know developing it. You know, being part of that development and going out and beating them. Um, you know, it, it's an admirable thing to do. And uh, I mean, I. I I, in some ways, see that as uh, Chaz's choice. But anyway, um, it's certainly uh, grist for the mill. Um, one thing I was going to ask about, did anyone uh, pick up any sort of uh, repercussions, so to speak, or benefits of Barry Ryan buying into the Erebus team? I think it's pretty much business as usual, really. Yeah, he's been a part of the team for quite some time now, and 
Um, and, you know, he, he's taking a more leadership role, which is great. Um, but I, I think it's just business as usual, really. Pete, do you see it as a reward for Barry that, that Betty is giving him this sort of reward? Uh, I think it's a combination of reward, but it's also the way you retain the key talent. Uh, you make sure that they've got some real skin in the game. Uh, and this was a, a perfect strategic move to, uh, uh, to, to keep that there. Um, quite interestingly, it wasn't 50% of the whole. Um, it was uh, a deal for the second car only, as I understand it. So uh, she hasn't given away the crown jewel, so to speak, um, but she's created a, a definite reason uh, for the talent to stay and uh, to focus and push on. Uh, the other uh, part of the uh, recent news was, of course, the Holden and, and very strange uh, handling of the uh, PR about their re-signing both of Red Bull and Holden for Triple Eight. Yeah, they, it was sort of played um, very well, uh, played under wraps, really. They announced it on the Thursday on uh, the the Trackside Supercars program. And um, I, th- I think it's, I think we've just got to, you know, get over the fact that, look, not a lot of singer, song and dance was made about it. They've committed for the next two years. And I think that's great confidence in supercars itself. And um, it's, move on really and um, hopefully we we get some more announcements like that coming into the future. The big thing with that is that it does mean that you've got stability in Red Bull and Holden that pretty much guarantees Peter that we're not going to see a Camaro because if Holden are supporting Triple Eight and the current Commodore, Opal then there'd be little appetite from them to homologate the Camaro as well. I think it would leave uh, Walkinshaw having to homologate the Camaro by themselves. Um, it's whether they've uh, got the, the the interest and the depth in their pockets to go and do that. Uh, and, of course, with the uh, uh, Andretti United soccer team uh, kind of combinations there, uh, that... Perhaps they do have the, the depth to their pockets. Um, racing the Camaro would definitely help their road car sales program, uh, and many listeners would have seen the increased uh, TV advertising uh, for, for those cars. So uh, I see that there is a business case for Walking Shore to go it alone. I don't know if it is a business case that actually gets across the line, but there is a bit of a business case. Um, and really, that would be the tempter for Chaz to go to Walkinshaw, would be to you know, be the pilot of, of the Camaro uh, in that context. Um, but, yeah, I think the renewal of Holden and Holden being committed to the Commodore does put up a bit of a barrier to that playing out the way that uh, uh, the, the, the Walkinshaw uh, team might have flied. Um, it becomes a very fascinating sort of jigsaw puzzle, that one. Um, Another part of that puzzle is the earlier comment in the media uh, by Triple Eight that uh, last year they didn't make any money. Um, whether they made a loss or broke even, you know, that would really determine it. Uh, but, yeah, the, the reason that they didn't make any money is the sort of pullback a little bit with some of the sponsorship dollars. So maybe that's why it was a, a very low-key announcement um, and that's because the, the dollars just aren't as exciting as they used to be. 
Um, it's a very tricky landscape there for, for Holden and its sponsorship because uh, everyone knows that the Commodore is not selling particularly well. And not retaining its value, which is something that you and I talked about um, a couple of days ago. Yeah, I read a, an article recently that at the end of three years, uh, the value could have fallen. Uh, 70% of the value could have disappeared. Um, that's not a, a statistic anyone would be uh, proud of. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's not the flagship uh, to your product range that Holden would have liked, which means you're, you're less enthusiastic to promote it through racing. After the break, and we've got Heath McAlpine of Auto Action and Peter Norton, happy snapper taking us through their thoughts with Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, our post-Townsville wrap. Time certain races, Heath. Auto Action had a story at the Grand Prix that said, Sean Seamus put his foot down and we won't have any more time certain races. Were we robbed of yeah. a grandstand yeah, we... finish <laughs> because it was a time certain race? Yes, I um, I had that brought to my attention on the weekend um, over the Facebooks. Um, and uh, look, uh, I, again, uh, you know, uh, not a fan of time certain finishes. Um, I, I, I sort of agree with the television allotment, but I think the timing of um, the TV could be done a lot better to suit the length of the races. You know, at, at the start of the year, there was, uh, no, at the start of each race, there's about 40 minutes of cars not doing a lot and the national anthem and all that sort of thing. And I understand that they've got to build some sort of, um, you know, some sort of warm up to the show, but you don't have an AFL game every, every AFL game each round um, have a national anthem. I think it's only, you know, maybe two or three rounds a year that actually happens. You know, that, you know, it should just be on the, get on with it, get, get on racing, get it done. Um, that's my feeling of it anyway. Um, and that would just stop the time certain any issues with this time certain business. And they did at the same time say that they were going to have a hurry up mode in case of bad weather. Uh, I well, know that, that didn't work out. <laughs> they didn't seem to hurry up to get it started earlier either. So uh, interesting to see how that might play out. And Peter, what's your thoughts? You. You obviously standing out in the rain are thinking the sooner this is over with the better. Uh, the weather on Sunday was very unpredictable. I, I don't think they had a very good warning that the rain was coming. Uh, I heard uh, a lot of references that it was not visible on the radar. Um, uh, but when the teams did come rushing in for the wet weather tyres, uh, that was a, a much heavier uh, spell that passed through. That one was perhaps predictable. But the, the, the rain around, uh, well, we were standing out on the grid when it started to rain. Um, that was very hard to predict. I, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt there that they didn't have the opportunity to start the race earlier. 
One aspect of the weekend was interesting, getting back to the development series, Dunlop series. Um, Thomas Randall, unfortunately, had forgotten all he uh, knew about or had ever learned about uh, restarts and uh, keeping up pace and not keeping pace and things like that and was penalised to lose his first win. Jake Kostecki showed the speed with a, his first pole. Um, but over the, all the weekend, the development series, are you seeing uh, much out of this, Heath? What, any opinion on that? Uh, over the whole, looking at the whole Dunlop series? or oh, Well, the week the weekend's uh, events. Um, I think it's just, a, 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 it's a learning process. Um, I don't think Tom's been too, like he hasn't been um, at the front too too often, um, as in out in front in the lead. Um, so, you know, it's a learning process. Um, potentially could have probably learned it after the second time it happened to him. But, look, um, his performance on the weekend was pretty impressive, but it's hard to go past forward. Um, Bryce forward, his his performances have been, over the course of the year, have been, you know, if McLaughlin's dominating supercars, then he's looking pretty good in Super 2 um, at the moment. Uh and he looks like a class. And I think the surprise packet of the series so far, and he didn't really have, you know, a stronger Townsville as he'd like, but um, Zane Goddard, after um, turning from Europe a couple of years ago and had a, you know, a little bit of a poor, a little bit of a disappointing year um, last year with Bear but he really stepped up, stepped up his uh, um, performances this year to take victories and, He's really pushed forward as well, and um, it also questions, you know, the Nissans are going pretty well in Super 2 and what's happening in Supercars. Well, I mean, you'd, you'd have to think that Matt White has done a terrific job in uh, taking on those cars because uh, he went to, to, to Todd Kelly and said that, you know, this is something we want to do, and clearly they've got uh, a good handle on them. Uh, Dean Fiore and uh, other drivers, Ash Walsh, uh, who've been in them, have all had uh, pretty good success. So you, you have to give uh, Matt White great points for making the jump to uh, to another brand. Um, I was going to say, absolutely, they've been up the front all the time. Um, there hasn't been a meeting where they haven't been off song. So... Um, you're exactly right, Tony. Um, I've got similar views. Uh, Bryce Forward has uh, uh, spent this year uh, maturing very nicely, uh, consistently fast, but perhaps more importantly is consistency and staying uh, away from other people's problems. Uh, other people can be faster on a particular day, but then they do something silly, whether it's uh, uh, the you know, restart procedure or just getting tangled up with other people. Uh, and I think it's that consistency and the, the wise head is what's needed for people to, to graduate up to the next level. Um, the inconsistency and, and perhaps uh, the word erratic might even suit some of the other drivers in Super 2. Um, they're the reasons why they won't graduate. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I, I always think that particularly with young drivers, it's you look at, uh, OK, what they do, but also you look at the standard of the people that are coming forward to support them. And Bryce Forward from the start of his involvement, John Faulkner was in his corner, then Paul Morris um, and, of course, Matty White. And uh, he has certainly uh, climbed that uh, step and, and is doing a great job at it. Nice, humble young man from... Uh, Darwin, I believe, uh, family involved in the uh, home electrics business, and that's where they get the uh, 
good money from um, middies. That's exactly right. The next thing I just probably wanted to raise with you is, in fact, uh, uh, 2020. Um, you know, it's been mooted for some time. I mean, the first part of it was the, the the change to springs this year. Then the suggestion of uh, control shock for next year. Um, there's nothing dramatic happening to that. It's just slowly bubbling along in the background. But now there's, you know, changes to, talked about uh, possibly coming for the engines, um, race formats, um, you know, possibly a, another move in generations of tyres, uh, going to a, a tyre that has greater degradation. Um, Heath, have you got thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's good to have a change. Um, you know, uh, it's good to throw things up. Uh it, you know, it, it, some, it you know becomes quite monotonous if you don't change things up. And um, with a different tyre, you know, opening the strategy up, I think, is the key to improving the racing. Uh, you know, the um, Park Fermate stuff's fantastic. You know, um, it, it just gives an opportunity for, you know, teams to vary it up a bit, change it up a bit. Um, and, you know, the plans for 2020 um, that I've seen, or um, I've read, are looking quite good. Um, they look quite good, and um, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they, uh, it, you know, they, they look good and they actually uh, translate onto on, onto the circuit on a, on, on, on a race weekend. I think the theme that we will uh, see is that uh, more show for less dough. Uh, clearly the sponsorship money is not what the teams would like it's very expensive to have that full calendar going all around the country uh, and if the racing isn't interesting uh, the TV figures which I understand have been quite strong I think they're going to taper off uh, and if you're relying on a new TV deal you need to have exciting race weekends uh, so yeah, whatever strategies you can build in to uh, create more strategies, uh, a bit more excitement, but also containing cost, I think that is the future. So uh, more control parts where it doesn't make a difference to the, to the show. Uh, but, yeah, throw in a few different tyre options and things to uh, you know, create more, more drama, more strategy, that kind of excitement. Uh, and I, I think that uh, uh, perhaps it's next year and, and years to come, a shorter... Uh, or a smaller number of rounds, um, if a round is sort of marginal, doesn't give a real exciting weekend, crowd is weak, I think they're going to get weeded out because uh, I think the championship, because of dollars, it's going to have to concentrate uh, into fewer but bigger more high-profile rounds. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, interesting to see uh, an announcement, uh, maybe it wasn't an announcement, maybe it was just news that got out there, um, that another centre of gravity change after uh, numerous changes to slow the Mustang down pre-Barbagello uh, and then uh, uh, upgrades for the ZB but not the Altima, um, that now we hear that there's another change coming and it, the the timing of it was because teams hadn't been back to their workshops, said Adrian Burgess. Uh, interesting, another another change coming though, uh, Heath. Yeah, I, I think it's just a um, it's, it, as I understand it the change is there for uh, just to improve the, the handling of the cars really and to remove it, the weight from the roof. So um, so yeah, you know, it's a, it, it's, it, it, it doesn't really well, we'll see if it affects the cars at Ipswich in a couple of weeks' time. But 
um, you know, hopefully again that adds to you know the the show and uh, improves on the racetrack that you know the, these changes that the, uh, the supercars are imploring that you know the racing gets a little bit better. I got a whisper early in the piece that uh, moving the lead up actually helped the balance of the Mustang more than it did the Commodore, and uh, it actually made the cars a bit more stable. Is that a product of them uh, being ballast? You had a bit of choice of where you could place it, and I understand with this most recent change, uh, the ballast is coming out, but an actual beam is being fitted, so you're losing some of that flexibility. Yeah, it will be interesting to see that, but it was interesting that Tickford put their ballast in one way and uh, I think you'll find that DJR Team Penske had put it in a different way. So Mm. I think it has come down to more uh, consistency in the technical side of things, but I I know that I, I was a bit cryptic before, but you can move the ballast around the car, and engineers do it all the time, to move the ballast, depending on the type of track you're on, uh, you might move the ballast up and have a higher centre of gravity, but in a particular location, so that the car, mm. when it moves in a certain direction, it will, you know, if you can put a bit more weight on the right-hand rear corner and have that weight shift and stay, which is partly a suspension thing, but it's also partly in where the weight is shifted around the car. That actually can make the car more stable. You move the car's weight front to back, you get a different set of properties. So if you've got a lot of accelerating to do, uh, you'll try and get the weight as far forward as you can because that'll help with the car lifting and and ducking. But you do obviously want it to duck and bite. But if you don't lift the front as much, that means you're not going to get as big a transfer on braking. So it could be a case of, yes, we made the COG even, but one car actually had a benefit derived from it in the process of parodying it. These decisions, though, interestingly enough, were made from CAD, not from physical COG testing, which is what was the first change was based on. So now we're seeing the electronic parity of cars coming into play, which uh, is another lever that is available to uh, the engineering team at Supercars. Do we live in a brand new world where there will be parity changes throughout the season? Uh, and the reason I mention that is uh, in the, the new TCR category, they make no apologies. There will be success penalties, whether it's weight or rev limits and those sorts of things. Um, if you want to go and play with TCR, you have to accept up front that those changes will be made continuously. If you don't like it, go play somewhere else. Um, in my earlier comments about uh, more show for less dough, uh, is that simply a, a reality that supercars uh, have to accept, that if you want to get the TV audience and everything like that, there just needs to be a better show and fine-tuning week to week is one of the ways of achieving that. Yeah, and Heath, that's a change in language too, isn't it? We used to call it success ballast. That is seen as a very negative thing. But now, across the GT world, across uh, TCR, it's called balance of performance. And that has such yeah. a much more positive sound to it. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's, 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 not, as, um, it's not just weight, though. Um, with TCR particularly, they have... Um, the, they uh, they have software settings in the ECU that you can that are changed um, 
that you know limit the amount of engine power that goes into the you know that is produced by the, a particular car. Um, as as Pete said, they've got weight um, weight dispensations as well. Um, I think, for instance, the Alfa Romeo next weekend uh, this weekend that uh, the GRM boys are fielding, they've lost 20 kilos. Um, but that's because it's a worldwide thing as well. So it's not just um, an Australian TCR thing. It's a worldwide thing. And, that, and the cars haven't been going too well around the world, except for here, hence why they lose the 20 kilos. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's a, and it's the same with um, BOP as well with GT racing. Um, and um, supercars have, a, you know, the same sort of thing because they do the, the tests prior to the season starting. And that's exactly what, um, GD3 and TCR car, uh, TCR have as well. They have their balance of performance testing at the start of the year, um, each racing season. Um, and, you know, look, potentially, you know, they, I think this year they've definitely been hoodwinked by Ford and, you know, um, and, um, Ford have done a really good job of, you know, uh, with the Mustang and, um, next year, maybe they need to have string, more stringent tests like, you know, the SRO have with GT3 and, um, you know, the TCR guys have as well. Pete, you made mention of uh, putting on a better show. One of the things that's actually been uh, slightly mooted and discussed is uh, there being less show in that uh, less events. Um, that makes an interesting sort of uh, you know, situation where you know maybe the team sort of saying, well, if we have less events, it's going to cost us less money, uh, and we can put that bigger show on when there are less uh, less of them. Um, you think that's a likely scenario, do you? I, I think so, and uh, there's been uh, uh, articles uh, in the media uh, that they potentially are looking at dropping one round, uh, and that's part of their move to have a longer break in the middle of winter so the teams can uh, uh, rest, recover. Um, it's a, a gruelling schedule of travel and people away from families in the current schedule. Um, and we, we have the date for, for Adelaide already announced, so uh, the season's going to start a, a little bit earlier. Um, and it kind of makes sense that you would look at your, your full series, um, look at the rounds that have the weaker crowds and perhaps traditionally have more straightforward racing uh, and and put your, your effort, um, so the, the, the effort in terms of cars and the promotion and the travel and all of that stuff, um, put it into the marquee events. Um, you know, if we had more Newcastles uh, and less... Mm, let's pick a, a round that's more straightforward. Um, it just makes sense, doesn't it? And I think we've had a turning point with uh, Sydney Motorsport Park and Perth by converting those to night events. Um, if it hadn't have been for that conversion, um, Sydney in particular, that would have been top of my list of ones that didn't pull a crowd and the racing wasn't necessarily very exciting. Um, I think that... Yeah, that's the future of some of those ordinary events. And I think, unfortunately, there, there could be one or two other events that they're just not viable at this level anymore. Um, they'll still be a, a great venue for uh, Shannon's National and, and other kind of categories, but supercars are just too expensive to, to turn up for every circuit in the country. Heath, your thoughts on uh, a number of events, or maybe you've got some inside information that you could leak to us so we can preview this week's auto action. Yeah, look, we've picked, we've picked up. Um, we, we, it appears that um, 
Philip Island might be off the calendar for next year, um, um, along with another couple of events as well, um, maybe. Uh, so that that potentially, um, you know, that that potentially drops it down to maybe 14 rounds because with Sydney Motorsport Park coming back next uh, next year. Um, but I mean, the thing is, you can't turn all these. You can't have a fully Supercars Night Championship. Um, and you know you can't if it's not working somewhere else, and you can't you can't just turn it into a night um, race, you know, um, pretty much. So uh, I think um, I think a fourteen event calendar is a really it's, it's quite a good number to have. So if you look at other categories around the world, um, I think BTCC's ten ca- ten weekends a year, and um, and IndyCar's about eleven or twelve. Um, so you know, seventeen was I think last year they had seventeen events, which is you know um, probably a little bit over the top. But um, this year, this you know, if it gets condensed to fourteen, I think that's a perfect size. Just speaking of events, um, I, I've been uh, watching the TV, and of course I don't, uh, well, I, I don't subscribe to Fox. Um, and watching the free-to-air, I was amazed at the lack of promotion of the free-to-air at Townsville. But then watching some of that and some of the um, other events this year, I haven't been as engrossed in it. Um, uh, you know, it's been mooted by some that uh, the commentary may be not uh, gathering the uh, fans on board. Um Peter, have you got a thought? Have you seen much of the television? I know you, you've been at most of the events. Um, I, I watched on TV the, uh, the racing from Darwin. Uh, and, well, the, the racing was fairly routine. Um, so it was probably hard to talk that up. But I do find your observation quite fascinating with regard to Townsville uh, because trackside, it was fascinating. Uh, the trackside commentary... Uh, did a, a very good job, I thought, at keeping us up to date on the, the different strategies and, you know, that uh, Anton, who was comfortably out in front, but he expected, uh, they expected him to need more fuel. Uh, so they told the story of the race quite effectively. Um, yeah, I, I find your observations interesting that perhaps on TV they didn't do such a good job. I think they told the story, um, and I, but I think it's the way they purvey the story. Um, and I mean, I'm not a commentator, and I've sort of only done it a couple of times. But you know, I, I feel that it, you know it's the way you purvey the story, um, really, and the strategies, and you know, uh, you, you, they point out the right things. But I think it's just the way that they explain things, um, you know, about you know the driver or whether they made a good pass and those sort of things. If they change that up a little bit, I think we'd be onto a winner. Um, you know, there's if uh, earlier I mentioned, you know, um, before we were on air about the, you know, the BTCC and Tim Harvey, who's the expert in that, does a really good job of that, um, doing filling that role, um, and possibly a little too much complacency here, you think? Yeah, I, it just needs a bit of a change up. I think a little bit of a freshen up. I don't think, you know, the com. I think the comment commentators are fine. I think they just need to expand on what you know, expand on. What, what they have to say, you know, they've been in the driver's seat and we haven't, um, you know, um, tell us a little bit more, you know, um, tell us a little bit more and, you know. Um, Give us the insight. 
yeah, exactly right. How did they make that pass? You know, yeah. um, how did they set it up? That sort of thing, you know. Um, I think that would go a long way into improving it. After the break, final thoughts for this week's Townsville wrap. Uh, final thoughts from Heath McAlpine, Peter Norton, Craig Gravel, and Tony Whitlock. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as V8 Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Joining us this week on Inside Supercars, our post-Townsville wrap, have been Peter Norton, a photographer of note, um, and Heath McAlpine, the Deputy Editor of Auto Action. And I'd like both of you gentlemen just to give us a, a, your final thoughts on you know the uh, Townsville's over, and next one on the agenda is Queensland. Peter, your final thought for this week? I, I was encouraged by the, the rest of the grid qualifying better, uh, and that's the way to take the battle up to DJR Team Penske. Uh, more exciting times to come. Yeah, quite encouraging. Heath, I totally agree. I think it's um, the championship only starting now. Uh, you know, uh, Scotty Max out in front, but who's going to take up the challenge? To... Yeah, it might be a race for second, but uh, it should be a fascinating race. Certainly over both days, it seems that uh, all teams, including the wonderful to see uh, Matt Stone racing with Todd Hazelwood uh, getting up so high and qualifying, which is fantastic because they certainly had problems uh, with their past car, but obviously the change to Triple uh, Eight has been uh, a great advantage for them. Craig, have you got a final thought? Yeah, my final thought is... I. You can't get rid of two events in Victoria, so that only leaves one other state that has multiple events because if you're bringing Sydney Motorsport Park back on, you're probably not getting rid of Bathurst. No. It, it certainly would seem that Winton has been in the past and certainly is uh, one of the heartland events and uh, there would be a great scream from a, out in the bush, not only in Victoria, I think, but around the country. Um I'm very encouraged by certainly that there hasn't been a drop-off from the other teams. Um, the evidence was a second covering qualifying in both events, uh, both uh, qualifying on the Saturday and Sunday, and that's great to see that uh, so so competitive is a series. Uh, the, the other thing is that um, I hope that the, by the time we get to uh, the Enduro Cup, uh, that being Bathurst, Gold Coast, and then uh, Sandown, That'll be uh, great to see the TV just that little bit sparkled up again. Um, I, historically, Supercar TV for a long, long time, I'm talking 20 years plus, has been one of the great strengths of this category. And I hope that will return. And we we'll all look forward to watching a really terrific pictures, not just on pay TV. So thanks, Heath and Peter, for joining us on this week's Inside Supercars. Thank, Thank you, everyone. And Inside Supercars, that's all from me for this week and Craig Ravel. Good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.